मलम शरीर योपाकोत्तम प्रवर मुनीना जलिंगली studying the panchaklesha the five afflictions in details after stating what the five kleshas are the panchakleshas the five afflictions are avidya asmita raga dvesha abhinivesha which means ignorance egoism attachment hatred and fear of death or clinging to life these are the five afflictions after just stating that the yoga sutra has taken one by one all the various afflictions defining them and elaborating them to give us a clear picture of what all these afflictions are so in the last class the first two afflictions avidya and asmita we studied in details avidya the ignorance and asmita is namaskar goism ha namaskar so these are the two uh, afflictions which we were studying in the last class in details so what's avidya as we have seen that anitya ashuchi dukha anatmasu nitya shuchi sukha atma khyati avidya so the things which are which are temporal for in those which are temporary we see them we conceive them we treat them as if they are permanent ashuchi the impure which indicates the body which is basically impure which but we treat it in a way as if it is something which is agreeable to us dukha as we were studying in the last class the all the so called apparent pleasures of life which ultimately in a way or other ends up in misery we are so short sighted that we don't see the intense misery which entails from all our worldly pursuits towards the sensed pleasures of life and we take them to be as sukha as if they are going to give us eternal pleasure and anatmasu this body and everything which extends out of this body the my belongings which are not myself 
I consider them to be as if myself. In Vedanta, almost synonymous to this avidya is maya. You all are very familiar with the term maya. Though in yoga the word maya is not used, in Vedanta we use it, but almost it has some same etymological meaning. What the word maya means? In the word maya, ya means as we see, as is apparent. And ma is in the sense of negation of that. Means what you see and what you think to be real is actually an apparent reality. It is not as you see. That's the word meaning of the word maya. And almost we find is a similar uh, meaning has been indicated to the term avidya. That all the things which are temporal, which are impure, which are full of misery, which is not our self, we consider them to be something permanent, something pure, agreeable, something which is going to give me ultimate pleasure and which is as if my own self. So we were studying in details in the last class. So that's the first affliction from which, from that ignorance, what comes, the next comes is asmita. What is the tasmita? That once that ignorance sets in, from that the tasmita, the sense of our identity with our psychophysical existence, that I am actually the pure conscious principle. In no way I am identified with the body-mind complex. The prakriti appears to be conscious only because of its affiliation, only because of its association with the purusha. And once it gets associated with the purusha, it appears to be enlivened and immediately the purusha seeing that enlivened prakriti thinks it to be the prakriti so it's seeing its own reflection in the prakriti showing its own reflection in the psychophysical existence it thinks itself to be the psychophysical existence and this my sense of amnes restricted within my psychophysical existence is the asmita and once that is there, after that, the three evolutes follows. What are they? Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Attachment, hatred, and fear of death. As we told, the ones we are attached to the psychophysical existence, anything which is favorable for its existence, anything which is pleasurable for its existence, we think it is pleasurable for me. Actually, I'm not dependent on anything. I am the ever pure, uh, perfect, conscious principle. But because of that association, now I think that these are the things which is going to sustain me and I get attached to them. These are the things which is going to give me pleasure and I get attached to them. And just the opposite, the things which I feel is going to disintegrate my psychophysical existence. The things which are going to be painful for the psychophysical existence. I develop an aversion for them as I think they are going to affect me, but it is in no way going to affect me. But because of that ignorance, because of that asmita, I feel it is going to affect me. And from that comes the aversion and the clinging to life, abhisneha, 
there's the ultimate. There's, we all somehow have the experience, not in this life, in the past many lives of death. Our clinging to the psychophysical existence is so strong. The pangs of death, which we have experienced again and again in the past births, is something which has created a spontaneous fear. That however we may feel that as if that fear is not there, we find at the moment of crisis, when the life is being endangered, my entire impulses, my entire reflex system reacts in a way which shows that what I profess is not true. This reflex shows that I have an intense fear of death and which is almost like a reflex, which is spontaneous. My entire system reacts to that situation in such a way which speaks my clinging to life, my fear of death. And that has been spoken of as the Abhisneha. So these are the three evolutes which follow Asmita. That ignorance, avidya and Asmita is followed by these three. So today we will take up the remaining three bit in details to understand the nature of Raga, Dvesha and Abhinivesha. So what is the seventh sutra of the second chapter that defines Raga. The very short sutra, Sukhanusai Raga. So, what is attachment? What is Raga? It, raga is that which follows the remembrance. Anushai means the remembrance of pleasure, Sukha. Anything which has given me pleasure, it remains as a memory. It is not lost in my subconscious mind. It is there as the memory. And whenever Again, I am in that circumstance, immediately that memory is revived back in my mind, which was latent in my subconscious mind as the samskara, as the latent impression, that immediately comes up as the memory and I am drawn towards the thing which has previously given me pleasure. Now. This raga is something which results in greed. The thing which I am attached to, that results in greed. And the greed is something which, because of which we always lose the sense of propriety. So what happens? That, that in greed, the sense of right and wrong generally gets corrupted. The thing which is going to harm me out of greed, I think that is the thing which I want. How it happens? We discussed it almost at the very beginning of the Yoga Sutra when we started. But let us just try to understand that how the necessity gets converted into obsession. And once we are obsessed by it, we forget the sense of propriety. And we overdo it the thing which was necessity, we start overdoing it because of our obsession and that results in, that harm starts harming us instead of really helping us. But our mind is just like, as we told, is 
like just let us take an example our mind is like a forest there are two villages which is separated by a thick forest and now there was no need to travel from one village to the other now for the first time you need to go to the other village a person from one village needs to go to the other village so what he will do as there was no need previously there was no mode of communication there was no road so this person clears of the jungle prepares a makes a road constructs a road and then goes to the other village now next day when he has to return or he has to travel to the other village for some other purpose what will be his natural tendency once the road is created his natural tendency would be to traverse to the already created path he won't be thinking of creating another path and this is the concept of neuroplasticity that in our mind whenever we are taking a new adventure out of necessity we are as if creating a path through our mind and once the path is created now our tendency is to traverse through that path again and again all our so called likings the so called the so called our intense uh, attachments the pleasures the things which gives us pleasure in this life they are all actually a necessity which has got converted into obsession that example which we gave previously still you may remember a small child is not drinking milk and the, what the mother does adds a little sugar and immediately it's found that the child is just suckling the milk what has happened that the child is found to have some innate likeness for something sweet it is as if innate innate it is already within the child how it has happened the so called psychologist will say you that in the process of evolution we the humans were food gatherers and later we became food producers we learned agriculture we became food producers when we were food gatherers our ancestors our predecessors every day getting food was a challenge they have to go to the forest to collect roots herbs fruits and come back in the evening that's the food that's how they used to sustain nothing they were there was to store every day they have to venture out and bring whatever they get from the mother nature and now very interesting thing that in the process of collecting these roots fruits herbs they found out that anything sweet in nature nourishes us it never kills us other tests there is a doubt if anything is sour it may be good for us but it may be poison it may be toxic sour bitter salty all those tests there is no assurance that it is going to nourish us it may be toxic but they found out that if anything is sweet invariably it is going to nourish us there is no chance of getting poisoned by it 
So now, out of necessity, they were in search of sweet roots, sweet herbs, sweet fruits. And this pursuit for sweet food, sweet food items, as if created a path in my mind. I was traversing again and again. And once the path is created, as we told, the mind, the mind has a tendency, once the path is created, to traverse through that path without any reason. Now it becomes obsession. Once the path is created, now what happens? You will find in the modern age, all the lifestyle disease to a great extent is related to this, our obsession for sweet foods, sweet food article. And now, as you know that the food has become so commercialized in all the food items, if you go and just check, you will find the sugar content is quite high. Why? Because they all know that the product will be sold, that the people are prone to have the sweet things. And that's how our, cons our consumption of sugar has increased like anything. And nowadays you will find that they are saying that almost all the lifestyle diseases, obesity, your diabetes, and from the, di the diabetes is called the silent killer. From that, the other, all the disease follows. This all is because of what? The thing which is necessity. That has got converted into an obsession. Very interesting. Even uh, the last uh, the, uh, 10 years back, from 10, 15 years back, they used to say that when you have diabetes, you shouldn't take anything sweet. Even the fruits, you shouldn't be you should be very cautious about. The fruits which are very sweet, you shouldn't take them. But very interesting, now the modern, the, as the things, uh, the research is going on, they are almost assured of the fact that even if you have diabetes, if you don't take processed sugar, if you're having sweet fruits, even mango, there's a very sweet fruit, it is not going to harm you. What has happened when because of obsession, we extract the sugar out, process it, it becomes almost like drug. It's almost an addiction like the drug addiction. The necessity has got converted into obsession. And now all the lifestyle disease follows from that. So it is just one example. If you take all our so-called obsessions, just take the lust, the Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Kamini Kanchan Maya. That lust and gold is Maya. You'll find a very interesting thing. Lust and gold both are necessary. Without that, this without lust, you cannot think of propagation of life. Without gold, without money, I cannot sustain myself. They're necessary. But because that necessity has got converted into obsession in the process of our evolution, what has happened? There's, you will find at last all the crime which we as a human society every day encounter or see in the newspaper or just see in the news channel. At last you will find 99.99% crime is because of this too. What has happened? The necessity has got converted into obsession. And now you will understand why in the commentary they have told 
that this raga, when because it becomes, it gets converted into its final expression as greed. When it is finding expression as greed, I have lost the sense of propriety. I take something which is not good for me as something good. Just see how through raga, the ignorance is working. And that's why it has been mentioned that our sense of right and wrong, the viveka, the conscience gets corrupted. So that's how, that's why it is an affliction. It is an affliction that people apparently may say raga is good. What is the harm in it? I have the freedom to pursue, pursue the pleasures of life. Who are you to restrict me? No one is there to restrict. It is just a word of caution. As Swami Ramakrishnananda, again and again, the direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that now in the modern age you speak of freedom, but you again and again mistake it as freedom of the senses. Freedom of the senses is never a freedom. It, is, it actually speaks of bondage. You are already obsessed by the senses. Real freedom is freedom from the senses. So this is, there's a great difference. We all take freedom means freedom of the senses, but the real freedom is freedom from the senses. Then only we can, if we are not obsessed, then only we can see the thing as it is. Otherwise it is all going to result in ignorance. It is all going to end up in maya. Means what I am, just considering a thing. I'm just looking at a thing and and thinking it to be a reality. Actually, it is not. It is something different. So that's what has been spoken of as the raga, which distorts our vision. Similarly, dukkha. Dukkha also in the same way distorts our vision. In the 8th Sutra, the second chapter 8th Sutra, they're defining that what is dukkha. Dukha, what is dvesha? Dukhanusai dvesha. Just like Sukhanusai raga, similarly Dukhanusai dvesha. So aversion is what? That follows the remembrance of dukkha, remembrance of misery. So dvesha is dukkha anushai, remembrance of misery. That I previously was going through some miserable situation and that has now become my obsession. Even it's very interesting. Dukkha, this your misery can also become an obsession. We will come to it. But before that, we will we should be very much aware of this aversion because it gradually it creeps in and gradually finds expression in a more and more violent way. This dvesha. First, it is just disagreeability, this matanaikya that. I most probably in my working place don't agree with my colleague or as a citizen, I don't agree with the political views of someone else. And sometimes we think it's okay to disagree, but what happens if we are not careful about it, it gets gradually seasoned into Grina. Now I start hating the other person. And not only that, that Grina, gradually gets converted into krodha, anger. And not only that, it's still farther, it goes, it gets converted into this 
pratik pratighat i just start abusing sometimes verbally and sometimes we even become physical all the violence results from that just this aversion it has its all so many various phases of expression and not only that at last the all the so called killings this jighangsha the tremendous anger getting converted into that your propensity desire to kill is every day in the newspaper every day you find this is happening in the family violence it is happening everywhere in the society it is happening at last it ends up there so this is a tremendous so called a enemy this dwesha is our enemy says even in bhagavad gita we find the god is indicating this mahashana mahapapma vidhi and vidhyanam idam vairinam know them to be the enemy so how it finds that it also that uh, aversion in the same way like sukha you will find here also we lose the sense of propriety of right and wrong we need not explain this calm from karma comes krodha it's it's something that whenever my desire gets obscured is not fulfilled it gets converted into krodha and once that krodha is there the other things are bound to follow the products of hatred which we just now spoke of but very interesting this it, the misery can also the thing which is not giving me pleasure that can also become an obsession the fear can become an obsession one of the very common example in the modern days is uh, you have all heard of it anorexia uh it's something very very dangerous what is this anorexia is that suppose someone has because of the same lifestyle disease has developed uh, obesity is a bit fat and now to reduce fat he starts avoiding food is aversion aversion for food at the beginning it's a necessity that yes to certain extent aversion for food is good for me but what's anorexia that aversion becomes compulsive that becomes obsessive they won't take even the optimum amount of food which is required they go on reducing the aversion of food becomes so strong at last those persons become skin and bone not only that they have to be hospitalized through drip food has to be because they won't there's so much aversion in spite of the fact that has become skin and bone they won't take food and there are so many cases of death because of that so just see that aversion can also be compulsive can also be obsessive the road rage which we face sometimes when the road that there is no reason that suddenly we find that the person who is behind me that is most that most probably the traffic light has just got green and it took most probably a fraction of second for me to just start and by the time the one who is behind is honking not only that sometimes he comes out of his car and uses abusive language sometimes they can be quite violent actually when we were evolving as a human being as a society if someone comes and snatches my be- belonging 
the anger is quite reasonable there but that type of anger can become obsessive and then without any reason i may just show my anger that if i am going through that repetitive uh, anger for whatever may be the reason you will find in those family where the child is not getting sufficient love is not taken care of uh, in a proper manner where they are abused for small small reason and sometimes even in a playful way with this child is being irritated and the child develops an irritable nature and sometimes we take it very casually but we forget that that is becoming an obsession that behind every so called criminal there is a past for which actually the entire society to certain extent is responsible if a child grows up in a loving atmosphere he can never become a so called a hard criminal hardcore criminal it was the lack of love it was a total that constant hatred constant indifference through which the child was growing up that has made that innumerable small instant instances of anger to become obsessive now without reason he gets angry without this for small reason will find it is agitated in the schools the bullying can make a child tremendously that that short tempered because constantly the child is facing that abuse and that can convert so that's why the environment is a very big factor so why we are saying and once you develop that rage now you lose your propriety that sense of right and wrong now it has got converted into an obsession so dvesha also like the sukha that uh, raga is a type of misapprehension from that that ignore it is a type of ignorance where for the same reason as raga we taking the evil as good and considering the misery pertaining to the senses as the misery of the detached self so that is the ultimate thing that the what dvesha this ultimately leads to that the thing which is i consider as misery is actually misery of the psychophysical existence it never affects the self but because of our misapprehension we think as if it is affecting me so that's how we find that how the raga how the dvesha everything is at last resulting in misapprehension ignorance we are taking the right to be the wrong and again the wrong to be the right so the sense of propriety of right and wrong is lost that way and then the ninth sutra they now discuss that the last of the five uh, kleshas that is abhisneha so what is abhisneha abhisneha is defined as sarasavahi vidushopi tatah arura abhinivesha sarasavahi it has become reflex spontaneous the affliction which springs spontaneously as a reflex from accumulated latent impressions and that which is established strongly even in the learned person vidushopi vidushopi the learned person who has read the scriptures who has who is aware intellectually convinced of the fact that 
that the soul is never annihilated and thinks that he ha- she has transcended the fear of death those are the vidushas which has been spoken of here even in such person vidushopi what they find that it is almost implanted vidushopi tatha arura it is as if like a ghost it is as if on its shoulder arura means something which is which has totally infatuated you which has strongly intoxicated you so this fear of death is something which totally shadows our uh, common sense uh, we find that this at the moment of crisis all our intellectual understanding is washed away and it like a reflex like a spontaneous impulse we react to the situation in such a way which speaks that we are intensely scared of death and that has been spoken of as abhisneha so even in the learned this spontaneity the spontaneous reaction uh, to the situations of life where my life is endangered is at danger is abhisneha so that is being sarasavahi vidushopi tatha arura abhisneha sarasavahi means spontaneous vidushopi for the even for the intellectuals tatha arura it has something which has totally ensnared them it is totally imposing on them that is arura and that is abhisneha so this abhisneha is something from which from which we can ascertain the fact that there has been past lives because in this life we have never experienced a situation where my life is endangered and from where suddenly the fear comes you may say that we have heard of it forget about a grown up person a small child who has not experienced death but even for a small child when the situation comes when his life is at danger you will find spontaneously that fear of death is even palpably visible in a small child swami vivekananda gives a very wonderful example you know the ducklings and the 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 what you say the chicks the chicks and the ducklings all look alike but you can easily distinguish them they they look almost same but you can easily find out among those uh, all those this uh, what you say in a group if they are all mixed very intermingling the chicks and the ducklings you can easily find out how you force them to run towards the water and you will find the ducklings have no fear they jump into the water the chicks run away so how it happens that they had no experience of death in this life why the so called chicks run away and the ducklings just simply jump into the water so this speaks of some experiences which we have gone through in my previous births the fear of death now the modern science they say that it is genetical that in our genes it is there now yoga sutra in a very nice way is actually contending this view that it's not something which is ingrained in our genes it is not something innate why because for a wise person the one who has realized who has went to that spiritual ultimate spiritual realization 
for such person we find the fear of death has gone there are innumerable such uh, examples where we find that the fear of death has totally vanished for a few fortunate ones so if something is innate how can it just simply go off can be washed off can be eliminated something innate is something which is the in the core of my being i cannot get rid of it so if i can get rid of it it proves that it is not something innate it is not something the core of my being it is something acquired as the memory of my past birth which i can get rid of only through the spiritual realization a time comes when there's no more maya can afflict me the ignorance cannot affect me i see the thing as it is i know that i am the conscious being which nothing can annihilate it's no more just an intellectual conviction it's a realization when that happens then the we find the fear of death has fallen off there are innumerable examples your swami vivekananda is indicating in one of his lectures that there was a swami a sadhu a monk who used to sit in the forest in the just on the shade of it under under the shade of a tree in the forest and constantly used to repeat soham soham i am that conscious principle i am that i am that now one day what happened the villagers who were there was a village on the other side of the forest and the villagers from their village could hear that chanting soham soham going on and one day a tiger just caught hold of that saint and dragged him into the deep forest and the villagers could hear that the fading sound of soham soham till the last breath it was dragged till it that the person died that the sage died that the monk died his soham chanting never stopped sri ramakrishna used to say that if your conviction is just mere intellectual it is not something which you have realized then our condition is like parrot you teach him to chant the name of god but when someone comes and constricts its throat it starts squeaking it starts that the or, or, or the the wild sound comes out it forgets to take the name of rama so that's not realization for a realized soul even when there's they are in the same situation where their life is endangered you find that conviction is something deep rooted and nothing can swerve them from their this conviction that they are the eternal soul nothing can destroy them nothing can annihilate them so that shows that it is not this fear of death is not something innate it is not in our genes we have acquired in our past birth through the various experiences which we can get rid of through our spiritual illumination so after discussing these various types of afflictions now in the next sutra the yoga sutra will speak of this how to get rid of all these afflictions so what are the process that's the spiritual journey so the 10 sutra say that te prati prasava heya sukshma 
So all these afflictions first have to be made shukshma. Now they are very intense in my life. First I have to attenuate them. I have to reduce their strength. And after that, what I have to do? Prati prasava. Is all those afflictions happened because of the conglomeration of certain factors. Those conglomeration means all evolution. So prati prasava means prasava means to give birth. Prati prasava means to dissolve. That my psychophysical existence is because of the ignorance. When the cause of the ignorance is gone, when the ignorance is gone, the, re- the real cause is gone, this integration now starts falling apart. Because there is no need. I know I am the pure conscious being. So why should I remain attached to this psychophysical existence? So now once I dissociate from that, all the factors that conglomerated to just give me this psychophysical existence, they start falling apart. That is Pratiprasava. So when at last those afflictions, first you make them sukshma, and at last when the afflictions are totally erased, then the prakriti falls off to render you free. There is nothing to now bind you. So what actually is speaking of through the commentary, we will try to understand that this, this it happens. This prati prasava happens in four steps. Already we have spoken of. They will be indicated now in the commentary. What? That first through the kriya yoga, the second chapter started with a discussion with a discussion on the topic of kriya yoga. That's tapa, swadhyaya, ishvara pranidhana. These three practices constitutes the kriya yoga. The practices which establishes you in the practice of yoga. So they are the preliminary practices. Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara, Pranidhana. So this preliminary practice, what they do? They attenuate the Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. The last three evolutes of the afflictions, they attenuate. You cannot get rid of them, but their strength is reduced. They won't afflict you that intensely as it used to be previously. Once you start to practice this Kriya Yoga, this Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara, Pranidhana, the afflictions, strength get reduced. How? The first, that Tapa, through austerity. What is austerity? That I have understood that there are so many compulsions, so many obsessions, which in no way is helping me, is actually harming me. So once I understand that, once through intellectual understanding, I understand, now I use to certain extent, I to certain extent, I use my willpower to get rid of all those obsessions. That is tapa, that I don't allow my propensities to just flow. I give to certain extent a dam, a restriction to it. And that results in, from tapa comes detachment. To give a common example that how this tapa works at the initial stage for any uh, addictions, forget about addiction. Just let us try to understand that how tapa works by fasting. That for the first time you're fasting and then what happens? 
that as you have never fasted uh, by the lunch time in the noon you feel terrible hunger but now as you have already taken the vow of fasting you forbear with it patiently forbear with it and you now realize for the first time that you thought that i will have to bear this pangs of hunger till my vow till the time i have to continue with my vow i have to just continue with that i have to just experience i have to be with that pangs of hunger but those who have uh, gone through that fasting they all know that the pang of hunger is for some time by evening or by late evening suddenly you find you are feeling very fresh that hunger instead of becoming more intense is no more there and then most probably throughout the night you are you are fasting because of some uh, some rituals or some celebration and you can go on with your spiritual this rituals and all without the pang of hunger actually feeling more refreshed what has happened first with the will when you were restraining yourself from taking food for some time the pang of hunger was there but this pang of hunger is actually biological alarm which is there to say you that this is the time to take food take food now if you ignore the alarm for some time the alarm system itself falls off it gets tired and now it renders you freedom now you don't have to force uh, yourself you find it you have now developed the capacity to continue with your so called restraint for longer and longer period of time that's that's how you can delay your gratification so this is nothing but tapas in short that use your will power to get rid of the obsession at the beginning it may it may give some uh what you say the misery some pain that's why in bhagavad gita they say very nicely what is satvik sukha agre vishamiva parinaame amritopamam at the beginning it appears like visha like something poison but parinaame in the end it becomes like amrita like nectar all the satvik sukha is like that the small child when he is asked to study doesn't like it but chhatranam adhyayanam tapah see there what tapah is there that though you don't like it use your will after some time you will develop the likeness for study that initial will at last will get converted into liking and then you can continue so this will by which i can restrain myself that speaks of the tapa and that results in detachment now we understand very clearly so in the kriya yoga the tapa helped me to get rid of raga by developing viraga and then ishwara pranidhana ishwara pranidhana how it helps to get rid of dvesha how in ishwara pranidhana if you as you remember that i am not supposed to have any expectation that all the good emotions good feelings that i have is something which is implanted in me it is not something which i by my own credit have acquired the love the compassion it is there in me the creator has implanted in me to take care of his creation so i am just a mere instrument i am the channel through which the god's concern for his creation is flowing 
So there is no question of getting something in return. If it is not me who I'm showing kindness, it is not me who I'm showing empathy. It is a God who is showing empathy through me. And where the question of something getting expectation, uh, something in return, how can that expectation be there? So as I don't have expectation, so even someone is inimical towards me, even if someone is not faithful to what I have done to him or her, should not affect me. So when that surrender to the issuer, surrender to the divine comes, that, oh Lord, in my life, I, you ask for the promptings of yours. I am taking care of the responsibilities. And not only that, when uh, some, uh, someone is supposed, as I apparently we feel that someone is supposed to return back at least as a few words of uh, gratitude, that also I don't expect. Because after all, it is God who is working through me. So through Ishwara Pranidhana, when it can be practiced properly, we can attenuate the dvesha. There cannot be any hatred for others. And Swadhyaya can help us to get rid of this Dehatma Buddhi Nivritti. Means that I am the body, I am the mind. Through this Swadhyaya. Swadhyaya is the repetition of your conviction. The mantra you are repeating. It takes you to such an engrossed flow where you will find where a person who has already experienced that engrossment finds that when they are totally engrossed in the repetition of the mantra or in contemplation of the divine, the sense that they are the body that also falls off. The total mind has been taken away by their object of concentration. Just as a musician, when he's engrossed in the music, forgets hunger, forgets thirst, is constantly, for hours most probably, is uh, pursuing his music or her music. The sense that, that he's uh, tired, he's hungry, falls off because of the engrossment. So ultimately that divine engrossment makes this habitual, that my engrossment is so, so intense that the feeling that I am the body and the mind, that falls off and it becomes habitual. And with that, they have however that you are the body that falls off. As you will find that when Narendranath met Ramakrishna for the first time and that famous question he asked, have you seen God? For the first time, Naren found an answer, direct answer. No one could give him a satisfactory answer. What was the answer? Yes, I have seen him. The only difference is I see him more clearly, more palpably than I see you. So that became more palpable world of reality. For us, God is an imagination. This world is real. For Ramakrishna, this world is imagination. God is real. So that's what, that I see him more palpably than you, I'm seeing you, more clearly than I see you. So for such a person who, for whom, that spiritual domain has become a reality because of the total engrossment, for him, this Dehavhavan Ivritti, that I am this psychophysical existence, falls off. And so for them, Abhisneha gets weakened. So now you will understand, just by practicing Kriya Yoga, sincerely, 
we can get rid of the last three evolutes of affliction. That is the raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. And after that, the next practice is viveka khyati. That's what is the viveka khyati? That constantly trying to recollect the fact that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. I am meditating on this idea. It doesn't mean that I have to always say, I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. I am the conscious principle. Even when, as a devotee, I am meditating on God, the same thing happens. When I am meditating on God, what's the idea? God is there through eternity. I am there through eternity. My relation to the divine is eternal. I am in eternal companionship with the divine. Is there anyone who thinks otherwise? No, that ultimately my meditation, when I am meditating as a devotee, the same idea, I am negating the idea that I am this limited psychophysical existence. So that also, when it becomes habitual, with this type of contemplation, what happens? All your attachment starts falling off naturally. You know why? Because all our Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha is hooked to Asmita, this amnes, this limited amnes. With that, all those are hooked. If that amnes is not there, they cannot stay. That who likes that delicacy? It is I who like that delicacy. Who hates that, uh, that person, a certain person? I hate a person because I'm not, he is not agreeable to me. I don't agree. Uh, there's so many things which I don't agree with him. I hate him. So who is hating? I. So all our, who is afraid of the death? It is I. So it is with the I, all those things are linked. Now, when you're constantly saying that I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses, you are constantly hammering on that idea of asmita. Now this asmita is like the hub of a will. And all these ragadvesha, abhinivesha are like, uh, are connected to that hub of the will with the spokes, innumerable spokes. So if you try to get rid of one attachment, the will is still there because there are so many other spokes to keep the will intact. But if you can get rid of the hub, the entire will collapses. So here, this next practice is that there's Viveka Khyati, that when we are meditating on God, or when as a jnana yogi, I'm constantly contemplating on the idea that I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses. I am the Atma Swarupa. I am the conscious principle. When we are doing that, what's happening? It's hammering on the ego. And once the half falls off, the entire thing will fall off. So once I get habituated with that type of meditation, then what happens? It's all the so-called the spikes they also, they start collapsing. There's nothing there to hold me back. But if I say nothing there to hold me back, that will be a mistake. Why? Because yes, previously all my thoughts, all my vrittis, all my likings, dislikings were attached to the idea, I am the body, I am the mind, I am the senses. Now with the constant practice, what has happened? One thought is still there. What is the thought? I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. But still it is a thought. Still it is a thought. That as long as a thought is there, your limited individuality continues. So previously the thought was I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. 
Uh, previously, the idea was I am the body, I am the mind, I am the senses. Now it has become because of viveka khyati. Khyati means knowledge. Viveka means discrimination. So it is this discriminative knowledge that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. As this has become a palpable fact of my life, then what happens from that? Para vairagya ensues. Your amnes has no immediate conscience. So what happens? Your consciousness gets broadened. It is our immediate conscience which keeps us limited to the immediate uh, responsibilities. When the conscience falls off, your awareness encompasses even the past lives. You become jati smara. You remember. And you will find in the life of Buddha, it is indicated that before going to that realization, first he became Jati Smara. And from Jati Smaratva comes Paravairagya. That we find that how through innumerable lives we were chasing blindly to get happiness on the things on, in which you can never get happiness. Because they are all fleeting, they are all constantly flowing, they are changing. And it becomes a palpably visible fact because of the Jati Smaratya. And from that, para vairagya ensues. Now the will to keep the Prakriti intact so that I can continue in this physical plane, that starts falling off. The moment that ego is totally gone because of that realization, that para vairagya, now the nature, the, 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 the hold which you had on the nature, that starts falling off. That results in prati prasava. So here the chitta starts dissolving. It's not annihilation. It's just making you free. Till now because of the ignorance I was using the prakriti as a clutch that falls off and that has been spoken of as prati prasava. So what are the four stages that which has been spoken of here that uh, through which I can it can result in this glaciers can be totally annihilated. This is the first is the Vairagya through Kriya Yoga. We got that, which stops uh, this our chase for the places of life. Next comes the Viveka Khyati, the contemplation of my real nature. From that ensues Para Vairagya, that supreme detachment. And that again results in Prati Prasava. From the supreme detachment, that that's what you say, the nature starts falling off, rendering you the ultimate liberation, kaivalya, freedom. Just with an example, we will stop today's discussion. With This example helps us to understand the idea. What is Vairagya like? That suppose that this body-mind complex is like a tree. And my, the Purusha is the one who has climbed the tree. So we, the Purusha, have climbed this tree and what we are doing constantly in search of fruits. We are extending our hands to get the fruits and enjoy the sweetness of it. Vairagya is first stopping to stretch out to, uh, to taste the fruits. You stop that. That is through Vairagya, a part of Kriya Yoga. The next what comes? The Viveka Khyati. That I don't... Uh, what is to reach out to get the fruits? I'm just sitting in a branch. That branch is asmita. That my amnes is still, previously it was uh, with the 
uh, what you say the likeness for all the things now only that amness is there that i am not the body not the mind not the senses that thought that amness with that you are just clinging to and when the paravairagya comes what what happens you are just leaving the hold of that branch also very interesting for pratiprasava there is no need for any effort there is no effort required once you lose the hold the gravitation just when you are sitting on a plant when you are sitting on a tree to fall no effort is required you just have to release the hold of the branch the gravity pulls you down similarly the plan of the universe is such that's the grace the plan of the god's grace is there he has planned the universe in such a way the moment you release the hold onto the prakriti you just just the way the gravitation the pulls you down here the grace pulls you up detaches you from the psychophysical existence it pulls you up to get established in your real nature and the nature falls off and that is pratiprasava so that's the thing which has been indicated in the 10th sutra that uh, that all this what is this this te pratiprasava here sukshma this all these afflictions first has to be made sukshma the sukshma speaks of attenuation and then they have to be totally annihilated here means to be totally eradicated by pratiprasava this is the the fourth the fourth step which we have just now spoke of vairagya first step viveka khyati second step the third step is the paravairagya which is leading to the pratiprasava so this fourth step we can totally annihilate them and that's the goal of the yoga this afflictions has to be eradicated so this the 11th sutra we will take up again in the next class we will again elaborate the 10th sutra to just make the idea clear because it speaks a lot so we will take up again in the next class we'll start with the 10th sutra again to elaborate a, a bit more on it and then go to the 11th sutra uh, which speaks of the preliminary practices and then on the 12th 13th 14th in the following classes we will come which will spoke, speak of the process of transmigration that they will speak and then it will follow with the ashtanga yoga the eight four practices we will come gradually to all those steps so with this we stop our discussion today thank you namaskar swami ji thank you good night namaskar good night pranam swami ji thank you pranam swami ji pranam namaskar thank you